0: We are in mark's gospel chapter 4 chapter 4 of mark's gospel beginning in verse 1 and continuing down through verse 20 we've titled the series jesus the son of god because mark opens his gospel saying that it is the gospel of jesus the son of god and later demons will declare that jesus is the son of god the father will declare that jesus is the son of god we'll get all the way to chapter 15 and the roman centurion will declare that jesus is the son of god and right in the middle of this gospel we'll have the confession of peter that jesus is the messiah and so mark is fixated in his gospel on the identity of jesus and the fact that jesus has come to to bring the kingdom of god uh, to earth that that god's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven the question that The parable that we will encounter in chapter four raises and answers is, how is it that the kingdom of God advances in the world? How is it that we can be a part of this kingdom that God is bringing? And in a a message I've titled, Ears to Hear, you'll notice there's some ears of corn on your bulletin. I was getting tired of the old theme, so I figured we'd go with a cornfield. But in in a message I've titled, Ears to Hear, We're going to learn about the priority and the importance of hearing the gospel, of hearing the word of God. Are are you thankful that God has spoken? Aren't you glad that God didn't just make us and let us fall and sin and then leave us to our own devices, but he, he has given us his sure inerrant, infallible Word that we can mine the depths of in order that we might know and love God. Isn't that a great and amazing thing? We get to gather around the Word of God. So here we go. We're going to dive into Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20. Hear now the Word of God. He began to teach again that He, there is Jesus, He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to Him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. Now, something interesting, Mark here literally says that he got in the boat and sat on the sea. Now, he's referring to a psalm where it says, the Lord is enthroned over the flood. What what Mark is showing us by this little nugget here in Mark is that he sees Jesus as Yahweh. He sees that the Father and Son are one. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, "'Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil.'" And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables, and he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. If you memorize scripture and I hope that you do, there's a relatively easy one to memorize that's worth memorization. Mark 4:14 4, The sower sows the word, the gospel, the word of God. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away." And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown, on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 60 and 100 fold would you pray with me king jesus we recognize that your kingdom will bear much fruit we ask god that you would find us to be a part of the harvest and to be sowers of the word as well We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. This morning's passage has been feeding my soul all week long and you're either in for a treat or you're in for trouble. I'm not sure which it is but just hang on to your seat because I I got some things I want to say to you this morning. And first is Jesus speaks in a parable. And and although parables are simple, we must not be duped by the fact that Jesus uses parables. I've heard a lot of people say, well, Jesus taught using simple things, and so the gospel is a simple truth. It's easy to understand. Well, if that were true, then everybody would be getting the gospel. But parables, though they use simple everyday events and objects and activities to illustrate a spiritual truth, they are not easy to understand. They, in fact, often come with a twist or a hook that makes them understandable only if you will surrender to Jesus as the answer to the parable you can't understand the parable until you first understand that it won't make sense life won't make sense the gospel won't make sense nothing will make sense apart from surrender to and submission to the authority of Jesus he is the fish inside of the bait or the the hook inside of the bait by which the fish is caught he is the way we understand what God has said. Parables explain and confirm kingdom life for those who are inside with Jesus, but they repel those who refuse Jesus. Those who are stubborn in their opposition to God and to his kingdom, who have refused to believe, parables conceal the truth from that heart. And in this parable, Jesus uses an illustration of a sower of seed, but not just any sower of seed. This sower throws seed anywhere. He throws it beside the road on the rocky soil. You might wonder what in the world is going on with this sower. I mean, who sows seed where there is no soil? Because where there's no soil, the seed is taken. Verse 4. Verses 5 and 6, when the seed falls on the rocky ground and comes up quickly, it quickly dies. Where there is little seed for the soil, the seed can't take root and the sun kills the plant. In verse 7, the seed falls among the thorns which choke out the plant before it can ever produce a harvest. Where the soil is compromised by weeds, there is no harvest. This is basic gardening 101. And down through verse 7, we've got a problem. Because the king of the kingdom has come, and the king is supposed to flourish and overtake the world, but all the seed is doing is coming up with a big zero. Down through verse 7, it's not going well. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever gotten like a little bean and put it down in a paper towel inside of a plastic baggie and wet it, made that uh, paper towel wet to show your kids that a seed can become a, sa- a plant, and then they're like, ooh, that's amazing, and then you throw it away, right? The experiment's done. That's not good enough. That's good enough to show your kids that a seed can become a seed and a plant. But God is looking for a harvest that goes around the globe and includes people from all tribes, tongues, languages, and nations. So we're in trouble if we stop at verse 7. Praise God for verse 8. Some seeds fall not beside the road or on the rocky ground or into the thorns or among the thorns but into the good soil. Did you know even the prepositions in your Bible are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God? See, the seed falls, the seed that falls beside the road doesn't grow. The seed that falls on the rocky ground grows for a minute, but then it dies. The seed that falls into the thorns gets choked out by the very thorns that were still in the soil. But there are some seeds, plural, not singular, interestingly enough, that go down into the good soil. And when that happens, there is a bountiful and even miraculous harvest, a hundredfold that God can produce. So whatever this parable means... It has something to do, verse 11, Jesus tells us, with the mystery of the kingdom of God. The word mystery refers to a knowledge of God and a knowledge of how God works in the world that can only be known if God gives us the answer. And He's giving us the answer in a parable, and he's answering this question. How is it that God's kingdom will grow? How will it come on earth as it is in heaven if all we have is Jesus and 12 followers? If all we have is a local church gathered at 6402 Peters Creek Road, God, how in the world could I have a vision of a harvest around the globe when we just got this one little church here in Roanoke, Virginia? And to our question... This is what Jesus says. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening? You see, what Jesus is showing us this morning is to have a part in God's growing kingdom. First, we must keep on listening to what Christ says. Why do we come and hear sermons week after week? Why do we submit ourselves to the gospel in this way week after week? Why do we stand under the word preached? Because it's a part of being in the kingdom and being a disciple of God is that we keep on listening to what Christ has said. Secondly, we must let the word of Christ lead us to Christ alone. And finally, we must receive, be established by, and sow the gospel. First, we must keep on listening to the word of Christ. You've probably often heard this parable referred to as the parable of the sower, but it's perhaps better known as the parable of the soils. Because the sower sows one kind of seed, but there's a variety of different types of soil. And so if you come to this text and say, well, the meaning of this text is that we should share the gospel. That is certainly an implication of this text. But the first thing we must learn is that we've got to listen to the gospel that the sower, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, came to sow. Now you might say, I don't get it, Pastor. Verse 3, Jesus tells the crowd to listen. Verse 9, Jesus tells the crowd to listen. What in the world was the crowd doing? Weren't they listening? I mean... It tells us they gathered to listen to him. There there he is out on the shore. I mean, he's out on the water. They're on the shore. He's got the echo effect. And the words that Jesus is saying are going into the ears of a large crowd. And Jesus keeps saying, keep on listening. I don't know about you, but at some point I'd be like, that's what I'm doing. And yet Jesus says... In fact, he commands us, keep on listening. Jesus, what is the deal? I know I have two ears and one mouth because you want me to listen twice as much as I speak. I'm listening to you, Jesus, and you keep telling me to listen. Any of you a parent or grandparent or great-grandparent? Most of you. Have you ever told your kids something and they were listening but they weren't listening? never my kids. (laughs) Right. (laughs) At the Palmer household, we used to say when, when we were training our children, when they were very, very young, I'm talking about one, two, three, four years old, we would always say, listen and obey. Listen and obey. Because to hear and not do is not to listen. It's to listen Obey. You see, what Jesus is showing us here is there is a type of listening that is deeper than just listening. This listening is required to be a part of the harvest of God's kingdom. There's a listening that you must exercise in order to truly belong to Jesus. And this listening is commanded of us by Christ. And it calls us and moves us beyond mere hearing. It is a hearing mixed with a continual striving to receive and engage with the message so that the message will do its work in us. It's a hearing that acknowledges utter dependence upon the message and the messenger. Students, you're in high school, middle school, if you've ever had a teacher who said to you after four weeks between the last exam and the next exam that you have, he says, now I want you to know, tomorrow we're having an exam and I'm going to take the next 15 minutes and I'm going to tell you what you really need to pay attention to because you're probably going to find it on the exam do you listen differently Yeah, you take four and a half weeks of not listening and suddenly you're listening I've been there and done that too (laughs) what page number was that again prof let me make sure I get that down memorize that page you see when you know there's going to be an exam suddenly you wake up and listen and I'm here to tell you this morning North Roanoke Baptist Church there's going to be an exam And the examination is going to ask, were you fruitful in the kingdom of God? Did you bear fruit in the kingdom of God? Did you really listen? And it is when we purpose... In the hearing of a sermon and of a Sunday school lesson and of a reading of the gospel, when we ask God, what do you have for us? When we listen like that, that is when the Holy Spirit of God will meet you where you are. And He will take sermons and Sunday school lessons and devotionals, and He will motivate you to deeper levels of service and selflessness and humility and patience and sacrifice than you ever thought possible. And it begins when you listen to the gospel. When we listen like this, we are surrendered to the voice of our king through the word proclaimed. But in a word excuse me, in a world full of conflicting messages about Christ, how do we know if we are really listening to the word of Christ? In a world full of conflicting messages about Christ, how do we know if we're really listening to the Word of Christ? You can podcast anybody, you can go to any church, any sermon, anywhere, and the answer to that question comes in point two. You know you're listening to the Word of Christ when the Word of Christ leads you to Christ alone. You see, it doesn't lead you to rely on yourself. It doesn't lead you to think every day about how much more money you can have and how popular you could be. When you're really listening to the word of Christ, it leads you back to Christ. You see, the large crowd listened to Jesus and they moved on. But look at verse 10. There are some followers of Jesus and the 12 apostles who want more than just some sensational teaching. And there are plenty of sensational teachers out there, far more compelling than your pastor that you can find. But I pray that you will listen and heed the gospel and let it do what it did in the apostles' life. Lead them back to Jesus. Notice when in verse 10. As soon as he was alone those who come to Jesus when He's alone want to know why He uses parables and they want to understand the parables. And the only way we can really understand who Christ is and how His kingdom advances is if in hearing the message we are drawn to Christ alone. Not our, not our opinions, not our experiences, not our positions, not our contributions, not our titles, but to our utter and total dependence upon Christ. So if you hear or listen to the gospel, but you walk away thinking the message is about something other than your dependence upon Jesus, then you have not yet listened as Christ is commanding you to listen. Jesus' use of parables fulfills Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where the prophet says that there would be some who would hear the good news, but they would reject it. Jesus' use of parables is so that those who are outside... Rather than like his disciples inside, that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Jesus's point is not that those who are outside are denied the possibility of unbelief, but rather they will not receive more evidence or revelation as they persist in their unbelief. Edward says this the parable of the sower is like the cloud that separated the fleeing Israelites from the pursuing Egyptians. It brought darkness to one side and light to the other. John Calvin says this, When persons of weak sight come out into the sunshine, their eyes become dimmer than before. Is that true? You go see the sun and it's so bright that it dims your eyes for a moment. And then he says this, That defect is in no way attributed to the sun, but to their eyes. In a similar way, when the word of God blinds and hardens the reprobate, as this takes place through their own depravity, the word is not at fault. With respect to the reprobate, Isaiah declares the stony hardness remains in their hearts so that they do not obtain mercy and the word fails to produce its effect. In other words, a parable cannot be understood apart from the power of God in Christ. And those who have fixed their position as outsiders, they said, we don't need Jesus, we will go alone and get to God outside of Christ. They... Hear the parable, but hearing they do not hear. Edwards says it this way: Jesus' parables confirm the states of people's hearts. Insiders are with Jesus, who are with Jesus will be given the understanding of the mystery. and outsiders who are not with Jesus will be confirmed in their disbelief. But here's some good news: The mystery of the kingdom of God has been given. Do you see that in verse 11? It's passive voice. In other words, God is the one who has to give it. The mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to those who are led by the word to inquire of Christ alone. And when we inquire of Christ alone, what we find is that though the kingdom seems to start small, though it seems Inadequate, Though it seems like it will fail. Though it seems like the weeds will overtake it. Though it seems like the rocky soil will never produce anything. A harvest is coming. The seeds that are sown in tears will later be harvested in joy. Psalm 1 and 26 verse 5. And even though the seed seems to be wasted, a bountiful harvest is on the way for those who understand point three. We must receive and be established by and sow the gospel. I've encouraged many of you to memorize or to at least read Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is a prophecy of the good end when God's kingdom is a global kingdom. There's no place where God is not known and His reign is not acknowledged and the people who are left belong to King Jesus. And in verse 6 of that psalm, it says, "...the earth has yielded its produce." And we can look to the day that the earth has yielded its produce because the king of the kingdom is the sower who sows not seed, but the word. And the word of God will produce a harvest wherever it finds genuinely receptive hearts. As Edwards writes, everything depends on receptivity. Are you receptive to the word of God? Are you willing for the Word of God to have its way in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace? Is the Word of God another thing on your offering envelope checkbox? Or do you want the Word of God to get deep down into the soil of your life? You see, something very interesting happens in this parable. Suddenly, in verse 14, we're not talking about seeds anymore, but the Word of God. And in verse 15, the Word is not sown in dirt, but it is sown in people. And the Word takes root in us and leads us to a kingdom harvest only if we truly hear. And parents, do you ever do this with your kids? Do you ever use negative examples? To illustrate for us what hearing actually is, he tells us everything that it's not. Do your kids ever do that? You know, go clean up your room. Tomorrow? Next week? No, Elizabeth, I want you to go clean up your room. And I don't mean tomorrow. I don't mean after you eat lunch. I don't mean next week, right? All the next, what I mean is right now. That's what Jesus is doing with this parable. When I tell you that you've got to have ears to listen, I'm going to show you three things that I don't mean count as hearing. Then I'm going to give you the real McCoy. You ready? Three things that don't count as hearing. First, in verse 15, we see the soil of some hearts is hard. The word that comes to those who are hardened to the gospel is taken like seed that falls on the side of the road. These are the skeptics. If they ever come to church, they come to church just to prove the preacher wrong. They might hear the words coming out of the preacher's mouth, but they go in one ear and out the other. They do not have ears to hear, and Satan immediately, verse 15, snatches the word away. They hear, but they do not hear. Secondly, in Verses 16 and 17, we see that the soil of some hearts is shallow. The seed falls on the rocky soil and it quickly grows up, but it quickly dies. Like the word that comes to a heart that loves the message of the hope of salvation, but does not consider salvation to be worth the struggle. Let me say that again. You see, there's some that they hear the good news. They hear the evangelists and they hear that you're going to have your best life now and you're going to trust Jesus and you're going to get your boat back and your car back and your wife back and your dog back and your house and everything's going to be wonderful and fixed and rosy and perfect if you trust in Jesus. Well, I'll trust in that Jesus. Oh, that Jesus also called me to deny deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. He, he said that there's going to be persecution and tr- troubles in this life. That's the Jesus that I'm supposed to follow? Well, now I'm not so sure. Notice what the Bible says. When persecution comes, when afflictions come, these hearers die as quickly as they sprouted. When the heat comes, the plant dies because it didn't get deep down into their hearts. Here's a good question to ask of ourselves this morning. Do trials deepen my faith or do they destroy it? What do you do when trials come? Does adversity shake my faith or does it strengthen it? Do trials remind me that I'm a part of a kingdom that endures forever and that this world and its trials and its hardships are temporary? Or do I get so frustrated and hot and bothered because I'm actually living for this world even though I said that I'm living for the world that my king has secured through his blood? They hear, but they do not hear. There's a third category of not hearing. Verses 18 and 19. We see that the soil... Of some hearts is distracted the seed that falls among the weeds and the thorns grows for a while but the thorns always win just like the cares of the world and a concern for cash always defeat the gospel because they cannot coexist at the same time you can't love Christ and cash at the same time you can't love Christ and comfort at the same time have you ever tried to grow a garden any of you gardeners here don't you love weeds I hate weeds. I mean, you can neglect weeds for three days and suddenly they are all over the garden. You got there and weed and have it perfect and three days later, if you've neglected the weeds, guess what you have? You have weeds, not seeds that are bearing fruit. Here's the point that God is making. You can't be a part of God's harvest if you neglect the weeds in your life. You haven't actually gotten down to the core of the gospel and the gratitude that it produces in your life if you are able to ignore the weeds in your life. If you can coexist with Christ and a life that looks nothing like Christ or never wants to be conformed to Christ, then you've not yet gotten the gospel. When the gospel really gets down into the soil of your life, you're going to see the weeds and you're going to hate them and you're going to want to get rid of them. Because you're going to see what it does to your life is worse than what it does to the greatest garden. It overtakes it just like that. Getting rid of weeds takes discipline. It takes routine. It takes sacrifice. To really hear the Word requires that we really let Christ destroy the weeds in our life. But you know, there are so many who appear to receive the Word and then the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the Word out. And here is what terrifies me, church. It's right at the end. Verse 19. And it becomes unfruitful. This is a warning to those who start fast and start well and fizzle at the finish line. This is a warning to those who play the game their whole life like they look like they like Jesus. And then down the stretch, they flip a switch and it becomes all about money or their concerns or something else. They use Jesus as their intellectual and emotional crutch for their whole life. And then at the end of the day, they fizzle out. Don't become unfruitful. Don't just pretend to acknowledge and embrace and accept the gospel. Let the gospel be your life. Christ commands us to listen. And he shows us three pictures of listening but not really listening. We know that they didn't hear because they did not keep on bearing fruit. There was not a harvest at the end of the day. And I don't know if you write in your Bible or not, but when I was studying this passage, here's what I did. I drew a line under verse 19. And above that line, I wrote this. Lost. Lost. God, I don't want to just hear... And be hard to what you have to say to me. God, I don't want to hear. And then when the going gets tough and the world tells me that you've got to redefine the gospel to be allowed to preach the gospel. Even in these United States of America, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to capitulate or cave on the gospel when persecution comes. It's going to make me hotter for for Christ. It's not going to make me wither like a wimpy little seedling. God, when, when the allure of money and all these other things and the cares of the world creep in, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I want to be a verse 20 kind of disciple because those are the ones who keep on hearing the gospel. What's interesting in verse 15 and then 16 and 17 and 18 and 19, the word for here is past tense. In other words, there was a time in my life that I was hearing the gospel, but I'm not hearing it anymore. But in verse 20, it's in the present tense. You see, the the true disciples of Christ keep on hearing the gospel day by day by day. It's not enough just to hear it. The gospel must be so deeply planted in our hearts that our lives then become deeply planted in the gospel. Do you see what's happening here? it's amazing in verse 15 and following he doesn't talk about a seed being planted in soil he talks about people being planted did you did you see that it says these are the ones or these are they the gospel goes into your heart and when it really gets down into the soil of your heart it doesn't just stay in your heart it takes over your whole being and identity and who you are and your life your very life gets anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ this is the true story of the whole world it is the story that we swim in, that we live in, that we breathe in. There's not a whole bunch of other stories that I'm watching on Netflix competing for my attention and my affection. I am living and anchored and grounded in the gospel. That is when you are a disciple of Christ. That is when you will bear a harvest of much fruit in the kingdom of God. That is what you are longing for the King of Kings, the King of glory, who will make fruit out of your life when the gospel overtakes your life. That's the gospel. And we've got to receive it. Do you see that in verse 20? When we accept it, the word means to welcome, to receive, to embrace. Where can you find hope in the world? You can't find it playing the lotto. You can't find it in a new car, a new house, a bathroom remodel, a kitchen remodel, a new wife. You are looking for hope in all the wrong places. The only place you can find hope that does not disappoint is in the gospel. And when you get that, the Spirit of God gives you a hunger to keep on hearing the gospel. Why? Because you found hope in the gospel. As we live our lives in the hope of the gospel and our lives are planted in the gospel, we join with Christ in sowing the gospel. That's when you become a gospel sower. When it's overtaken your life, what comes out of your life has to be the word. It has to be the gospel seed. Jesus, the lead sower, sowed the gospel. 11 out of 12 apostles got it. Then we got the church, and the church down through the ages has been giving the gospel to the world, and there is a harvest that is coming. As the body of Christ on earth, we now do what Jesus did for the disciples, what the church has done in the world. We keep sowing the gospel seed because we know there is no power on the planet that can rival the power of the gospel. Think about it for a moment. Have you ever driven by fields that have been prepared to be planted? What's out there? Just dirt? Just a bunch of dirt? And then... Somebody goes by with a spreader or a machine and seed gets cast out on that soil. And you drive by a few weeks later and there's little plants in rows. Well, how did that happen? The power of the gospel. The power inherent in the seed itself to germinate. God does something to take the soil of our life and to turn it into a harvest. And you might be asking, but this sower is crazy. He didn't just sow on good prepared soil. He was sowing the gospel every single place he went on the rocky ground beside the road. Who does that? And I love church history because There's a lot of people smarter than your pastor who've been wrestling with these questions a lot longer than me. And there's a guy named Justin the Martyr who was martyred for his faith, and he was reflecting on this. Why did the sower sow the seed everywhere? Listen to what he said. It isn't as though the farmer has lost his mind. But more likely, that none of the soil around seems particularly good. Couldn't find any good soil. So in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found, he sows in every corner of the field. Think about that. Were you ever bad soil? Were you ever stony soil or rocky soil or shallow soil or weedy soil? Some of you this morning might say, I I got some weeds right now that the Spirit of God is telling me I need to deal with in my life. Before this service is over, I need need a weed eater. I need to to put some pre-emergent on the soil of my soul. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the world out there, if you watch Fox, News, CNN, MSNBC, read the Roanoke Times, you are going to conclude that it doesn't make any sense to sow the seed. We just pack up and go home because there's no point of sowing the seed anywhere. But the reason the sower sows the seed everywhere he goes is because there's power in the seed even to overcome soil that seems like it is hopeless. And the reason at North Roanoke Baptist Church that we have included in our core values for our leadership team that we have the freedom to try new things and to fail is this. It is better to get the gospel out and fail trying than it is to get out than to fail to get out the gospel. I'd rather get the gospel out and fail than fail to get out the gospel because there's a power in the gospel that is inherent to itself because it's the message of what God has done for us in Christ. And so what must we do week after week after week? Why do we gather as a team under the Word of God? Because discipleship, belonging to Jesus, is not what we can make out of ourselves, but it is allowing the sower and his seed to produce a harvest in us that we are incapable of producing. We can't make ourselves a garden. Only the Spirit of God can as we hear and submit to the Word week after week after week. And when we do that, look at what happens. Despite discouraging odds, despite the fact that I was rocky and shallow and weedy soil, even though Jesus begins with just Himself and 11 uh, disciples who would be faithful, look at what God does. In the sowing of the Gospel, God is at work, and the work of the sowing, which seemed crazy is vindicated because despite discouraging odds, the harvest in Jesus' ministry will be beyond compare. Some of you this morning are grandparents and parents and great-grandparents and you've been sowing the gospel in the lives of your rebellious children and your rebellious teenagers and your rebellious grandchildren and you've given up. Don't give up sowing the The gospel in the places where it doesn't make sense to sow the gospel because the gospel will have its people. It will have its harvest. And there is a power in a life that is so full of the gospel that it can't help but give out the gospel seed in hopes that God would bless it and grow a harvest there. Christ has given us his word and it leads us to Christ alone. He's the answer. To the parable. Do you know him? Have you received him? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. May God bless the preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Our Father and our God, we need you this morning. Lord, all across this room, there are people with weeds in the soil of their lives. And they don't want to tolerate them anymore. God, they, they want a deeper awareness of the, your goodness and of the gospel and of, the, of their undeservedness. But God, of your great gift of salvation through Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would pour out your Holy Spirit this morning. And that you would motivate people to confess that they've been living with weeds far too long. God, for others, they don't even know you. God, they've heard the gospel a hundred times, but today your Holy Spirit has done something and you would send them to trust in Jesus and let the word of the gospel find the good soil of their heart. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would move however you purpose to move, that you would leave, lead whoever it is to, to join with us in participating in this great harvest, God, that they might come and join North Roanoke Baptist Church. Have your will in your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.